Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. Today's reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapters, chapter 22, verses 47 through 53. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the son of a man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priest, the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Good job. You can pat yourself or your neighbor on the back. Did uh, Carol Ann not do a great job? You know, there's a saying that goes like this. She's like the sister I never had. Carol Ann is exactly like the sisters I do have. (laughs) Sorry, Phoebe. (laughs) But it's more important that I can see you. (laughs) And Dustin, please don't beat me up (laughs) for touching your stuff. Um, Pastor Michael is still on vacation. He'll be back next week to our great pleasure. Uh, So this week I get the opportunity to bring the message from the passage that was just read. Uh, My name is Bruce O'Neill, and I am the associate pastor. And uh, so let me ask you a question up front. What does uh, Benedict Arnold, Marcus uh, Brutus, and Judas Iscariot all have in common? They're all betrayers. Benedict Arnold betrayed his friend, uh, George Washington. Uh, Brutus betrayed Julius Caesar and Judas Jesus. And so what I want you to do is I want you to begin in your mind, because this message is not going to mean anything to you if you don't have a frame of reference. So I want you to think about people who have betrayed you. I also want you to think about people you've betrayed. And some say, I've never betrayed anybody. Well, let's don't have a courtroom where we bring in your friends. Let's just assume we're all in the same camp, and we need some good news this morning. I had a friend. I was in this church, and um, it was very, very large. And so it was actually very um, encouraging to have somebody come up and say, you know, I want to, 
I want to be your friend, but I don't want to be the friend because you're the pastor. I want to be your friend because I just want to be your friend. And you know that in a lot of ways that's music to a pastor's heart because you never sometimes know why people want to be your friends, uh, especially in a large setting with lots of people. And uh, so we struck up a uh, 17-year friendship, and um, it really uh, grew deep. Um, he was wonderful and gracious and generous uh, with his time and friendship. And so, um, but at one point, I began to notice that people that didn't know me very well knew things that I had said to uh, this fellow and only to this fellow. <laughs> and I should have known because he was telling me things about other people that I didn't know. <laughs> and, and so I felt betrayed. And it really ruined the relationship because even when we sat down to talk about it, he didn't think there was anything wrong with it. And so it just kind of drove a wedge uh, for us. That's when somebody betrays me, but I, I've got plenty of stories of my own betrayal for other people. I had planted a church a long time ago, and the very first person I've ever hired in life, <laughs> um, outside of when I was a principal, um, was a young pastor, and I hired him thinking I would develop him, and he would become a church planner himself, and so I poured into him, and, and some large church came along and said, please come and be our pastor, so I left sooner than I had planned, and so he thought that I would recommend him to take over the church I planted, and um, that wouldn't have been a bad plan had it not been so short of time. And so when the elders in the search committee came and asked, do I recommend this young man? I said, I can't, he's just not ready. And so this young pastor found out that was my recommendation because I couldn't let that leak out. I told him he felt I betrayed him. And, and that marched for about 15 years until we were able to sit down and I asked for his forgiveness. Um, wonderful opportunity, but he felt betrayed. The true question this morning, is there any hope for our betrayals? Either people betraying us or we betray them. Is there any hope that there's a healing for those? Of course, I wouldn't be up here if I didn't think there was. And so I want us to think about that because that's what's happening here with Jesus. Jesus is confronting the problem of betrayal through his own betrayal. Uh, Judas has been with Jesus from the very beginning. He after a supper, the, what's often called the Last Supper, uh, Judas slinks out into the night, and he meets with some authorities. He get, agrees for a small reward uh, to betray the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the creator of the cosmos. How did Jesus handle that betrayal? I think that's very important because how he handles that betrayal is a way to heal our own whether it's ones we've done or the ones done to us. So first, I want us to look at the pain of betrayal because all betrayals cause pain. Then I want us to look at how do you respond? How do we typically respond to betrayal? And then third, 
what is the antidote? What is the solution? What is the healing for betrayals? And I think that one is going to surprise us. So first, why are betrayals so painful? I want us to understand this thought, that pain comes from betrayal because they always come from the hands of a friend, never from a stranger. We are never betrayed by a faceless person. And often they have the very face of our closest friends. It's painful precisely because it's the person that we trust. And sometimes we trust the most. And that's what causes the wound. And so here's the first principle. The wounds of a friend go deeper and hurt more and last longer because there are friends rather than strangers. The closer the friendship, the greater the wound that is inflicted. That's why a spouse who betrays us cuts so deep because they are the people that we're closest to. And this is true for the one who betrays Jesus. Jesus has just, we looked at last week, if you were here, the Garden of Gethsemane. There, he has been on a three-year um, non-stop ministry tour that has wore him out. And in the middle of that, he begins to now think about what it's going to be like in his time of death on the cross. And the weight of that moment where he takes on the sins of his people and therefore all of the punishment that is due sin, that causes him to grieve and to begin to experience in a, a taste what I call the, the just the sips of the cup of wrath that causes him to be wounded. Well, he walks out of that garden. That's what we have today. He walks out of that garden right into a mob led by his friend who comes up to him and kisses him. You see, Judas has snuck out. He's met. He's, he's agreed with these Jewish authorities for 30 pieces of silver. And if you're kind of wondering what that is, that's about um, 120 days worth of your wages. And so in the United States, that somewhere between twenty dollars and $30,000 that's how much Jesus' relationship to Judas was worth to him. And so how does Judas betray him? Judas betrays him with a kiss. Look at verses 47 and 48. While he was still, uh, while still speaking, a crowd came up, and a man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. And so the question is, when is a kiss not a kiss? Not when kiss is a kiss. There's a line that Michael Card has in one of his songs that goes like this. Why did it have to be a friend who chose to betray the Lord? Why did he choose a kiss to show him? That is not what a kiss is for. Then what is a kiss for? A kiss in the ancient world was a greeting between friends. 
It was an opportunity to say, you are my friend. I enjoy life with you. A kiss is never supposed to be used for evil. I don't care what the Godfather movies used that kiss for. It was never meant to be used for evil. So what did Judas mean with this kiss? Judas' kiss was his final statement of of, uh, repudiation of his relationship with Jesus. So instead of a, a greeting, it was a goodbye. Instead of, I love you, it's, I hate you. Instead of, you're my friend, you're my enemy. That's what was conveyed in his kiss. What do I mean? Imagine you're a single parent, and you have a little boy that you love, and you've given that child everything he needs in life growing up. You've protected him, you've encouraged him, you've provided for him, and you've saved enough for him to go to college. And so he goes off, you drop him off in the dorms, and you're crying all the way home to only find out by the end of the year he dropped out after the first semester and that he has spent all of the money that you have saved. And the next fall's rolling around. And so he comes to you and he says, I need more money. That is Judas's kiss. He is trampling all over his mother's love. But what about us? Hasn't God given us everything we have? Everything we will ever have. All that we are is because of Jesus Christ. And yet we act as though we're independent beings. That we somehow materialized in this world without any help of anyone else, particularly God himself. It's almost like we've put God in one of those boxes that has a sign on it, uh, uh, break in case of an emergency. Otherwise, we live as though he doesn't really matter. I'm not saying that we're atheists sometimes. I just think we're agnostic about him, except when we need him. We live as though we're our own person, that we're the captains of our own ships, the masters of our own destiny, as though God has not given us everything. And so when we give him our kiss, it's a trampling on his love just as that young man trampled all over his mother's. This is what Judas does with his kiss, and that is not what a kiss is for. Judas took the symbol of love and made it a symbol of betrayal. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon.
So how do we respond to that? When someone betrays us like that, when, when we experience that, or when someone catches us betraying, what do we do with that? Well, when people betray us, if you're anywhere like me, maybe you're nothing like me, but if you are, maybe there's this tinge of a desire to get revenge, to get a little vengeance, justice in our mind for what they've done to us. Look at verse 49. When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. You know, betrayal demands a response. That is, you can't be betrayed without responding. It demands it because it's an injustice. And injustice demands justice. Wrong demands that it's made right. The problem isn't that it demands a response. The disciples are not interested in merely defending Jesus. They want the other people to hurt. And that's the way it works. When hurt people live with their hurts and are not healed, often they hurt people. You ever heard that principle? Hurting people hurt people. And so here, someone is threatening to take away their leader. Someone is threatening to hurt their movement. Someone is taking their, betrayed their dear leader, Jesus. And what do they say? Let's lop off their ears. If they're not listening, they might as well not have them. The truth about vengeance is that it initially tastes good to us. On the tongue, it's good to, to savor the flavor of vengeance. Tastes good. But once it's been fully consumed, it turns in our stomach and ruins our lives. Nelson Mandela, who spent 27 years in prison, about 17 of them on an island prison as one of the few prisoners. And when he got out, he was the leader of a party that was not in power. And so they asked him, when you come to power, when you get control, are you going to get everybody back that treated you poorly? I mean, they put him in prison for 27 years. He could have mastered a list of all the people who betrayed him, all the people who were responsible. But this is what Nelson Mandela says. Vengeance is like a cup of poison hoping to kill the other person when I drink it. You see, we think by po developing the poison and tasting this, what is sweet to the taste but ultimately doesn't do a thing to the person, but only kills us, and we drink it by the gallon. So if the first truth is that it tastes good, but it turns, the second truth about vengeance is something that Jack Nicholson says, you can't handle the truth. You can't handle vengeance. Mere mortals should not use that tool because we can't handle it. We don't respond well to it. Because when we do vengeance, we do it disproportional. That is, if they take a, 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 
a, a coat, we take all their clothes. When, when uh, someone uh, offends us, we crush them. You see what I'm saying? When, when we feel hurt, we make them feel worse than how we feel. Because we can't handle it, we only know how to turn the tap all the way on. But that's not our only problem with vengeance. Not only do we make it disproportional, but we make vengeance on a payment plan. That is, when someone betrays us, when someone hurts us, the way we want them to pay us back is to put them on an installment plan that never runs out. To get them to pay with interest that never runs out. Why? Because we want them to disproportionately pay for what they've done. I have to tell you this beautiful story, and forgive me, it's connected just a little bit to football. I went to this university uh, called Auburn. I know we've got some Alabama alumni in here because they tell me whenever they beat us, uh, which is often. Um, but back in, in 2010, we won our second national championship. The reason that's Im important in this story is it's been a long time between 1957 to 2010. We had this really freak of nature a quarterback named Cam Newton, and this one game, we were down uh, by uh, 26 points. It was 26 to nothing, in case you were wondering, with about five minutes before halftime. And so it looked like a typical drubbing of Auburn by the bigger brother, Alabama. And so he led us back, and we won the game 28-26. They never scored again. Um, love the story. But if you don't if you're not from Alabama, you don't realize how much hatred there is among the fan bases of those two schools. Not necessarily among players, but the fan bases. There was this one fan in 2010. His name is Harvey Updike. And Harvey never went to Alabama, so please don't let that reflect on your university. Um, he felt he had been betrayed by Auburn. Don't you know? that national championships do not belong to you. They belong to the school at the other end of the state, the school he loves. And so about two in the morning, he uh, brought gallons of poison. And we have this tradition after winning a big game is we take toilet paper, and don't ask me to explain it, it makes no sense. We roll these four tr oak trees that are on the corner of Tumor's Corner. And so he poisoned all four of these oak trees. Now, if you know anything about poisoning trees, it takes a while for them to die. Now, we have a huge horticulture department that really know how to save trees, but these trees could not be saved. No matter what they tried, two years later, they died. In fact, I own a piece of those trees. They gave them out to the alumni as a gift, so I went back to Auburn to get one. Anyway, that was a side story to this. He felt like he had been betrayed. And so what did he do? He did two things at one time. By the way, he was so crazy, he went on the radio <laughs> and told them they did it. Not a smart guy. <laughs> I won't. That was so easy to go into that joke about Alabama, but I won't. <laughs> anyway, he did two things with his vengeance. One is it was disproportional. I mean, come on. It's a ball game. 
The second thing is he wanted to put us on an installment plan. The most beloved trees in all of the campus are slowly dying over years. And even if we replace them, we would not be able to replace them. With the, they were about 80 years old at the time with 80-year-old trees. So he put us on an installment plan. Even though he's found guilty, he had no money. It's not like he could pay for the $800,000 it took to replace those trees. But that's what we do with vengeance. That's a, a grotesque, too detailed story for you about how we handle vengeance. We want it disproportional and we want it on an installment plan because we want to feel better. How did Jesus, here's the contrast, how does Jesus handle his betrayal? You see it in verse 48. Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? These are the last words Judas will ever hear Jesus utter. Because as soon as this is all over, Judas goes out and commits suicide. So he never hears Jesus say, these are the ones for whom I die. But what is Jesus doing? Because Judas doesn't get to hear it, it doesn't happen. But what Jesus is trying to do with Judas, his brokenhearted love for this man who'd been with him from the very beginning of his ministry was to get Judas to repent. Judas, are you going to betray me with a kiss? Are you going to take the creator of the world, the one who brought you in, the one who has loved you well, and you are going to betray me with the kiss of love? You know, right then and there, that's when Judas should have said, you know, you're right, I was wrong. What can I do? I am so sorry. But instead, Judas goes out, and he, because he's so grieved, he's so guilt-ridden, the only solution he has is to take himself out of this world rather than embrace even this last opportunity to embrace Jesus' love. Sadly, you and I want to make Judas into this incredible monster, don't we? That's what Dante does in his Inferno. He has the levels of hell, and at the very bottom of hell is not fire. In Dante's Inferno, it's ice. And he has only one person in that level, and it's Judas. Because if I can make Judas the monster... That makes me better. I that. <laughs> Always, my watch goes off. I got to quit wearing that thing. <laughs> but what do the disciples, when Jesus, you know, they're around the dinner uh, together, this last supper, and Jesus predicts or foretells his own death, that someone is going to betray him. And I had this we used to do this play right before Easter, and people could come and watch it. And, and, and in the height of the play is when Jesus asks this question, is who is going to betray me? And, and each of the disciples will say, it is I, it is I, it is I. Is, am I the guy who's going to betray you? They're not looking at each other to see who the betrayer is. They know each of them are capable of being the betrayer. You see, I think we want to make Judas the monster so that we don't have to see our own betrayals of Jesus. Because the truth is, what makes us fallen humans is that we've all betrayed Jesus. That's why he had to come. 
If you have not yet got to that point where you can see your betrayal, it's because you don't yet see your need for the one who was betrayed in order to save. But there is a way to healing. There's a way that our betrayals don't become the albatrosses around our neck that we walk through life with or into eternity. Look at verses 52 and 53. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come uh, for him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. Here's the line. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. First, I just want to deal with the first part of that, which is, this is your hour. What is Jesus talking about when he says it's the hour? When Jesus refers to the hour in the New Testament, he's talking about the hour of his death. He's talking about that time where he's going to get arrested here, turned over to the Romans. The Romans are going to torture him, condemn him, die, and execute him. That's what he's talking about as his hour. But that's not what's all happening here. My favorite movies of all time are these new Sherlock Holmes movies. I wish they'd make more. Because when the hero looks like he's about to lose, when everything looks hopeless, the hero has been planning all along and including all of their moves in his final move for his victory. I love that when you watch a movie and it all pans out at the end that every move that the enemy has ever made has been part of the plan for salvation, been part of the plan to win. That is what God has been doing through this. Yes, Judas betrayed Jesus. Yes, the, the Jews, they, they arrest him when they had no right to arrest him. Yes, they turned him over to the Romans, and the Romans executed him. Yes, the, each of them are responsible, but every last move of those humans was all part of God's plan to save us in the midst of our own betrayals. God is not scrambling or responding to our moves, but our moves are part of his plan to save. He's absolutely in control here. Don't miss that. Sometimes we think that, oh, I've got sovereignty. He's, he's pulling every lever. No, no, no. That's a, a mischaracterature of God. He's not up there just pulling levers when we pull our levers. All the levers we're ever pulling or because they're part of the plan. Every last one of them. How do we know? Because he told us. Here's the clue, verse 53. When darkness reigns. You see, some people will read that and think, the darkness is because the Jews arrested him. No, 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 no. Darkness on the cross wasn't because he was arrested or executed. The darkness on the cross fell because that is exactly the moment God's wrath fell for sin. In order to heal betrayal, God has to betray his son. I told you it'd be a surprise. Nobody thinks that betrayal is healed by another betrayal. But that's why the Bible always surprises us. God has decided in his infinite wisdom the way to heal our betrayals of him is for him to betray his son. 
I know you don't think that's fair. You don't think that's right. I agree with you, but we're not in charge. Instead of a kiss, God gives the hand of wrath. Jesus should have gotten the face of God. Instead, he got his back. God healed our betrayal by betraying his son. Let me just make three quick applications and we're done. First one is, this is why it matters that Jesus was betrayed. The first, it removes any surprise when we are betrayed. It doesn't remove the hurts of being betrayed, but it does remove the surprise because if the creator of the cosmos was betrayed, why would you think, why would I think that I am above being betrayed? And also, if Judas, who had spent three years with the lover of his soul, why do you not think I'm incapable of betraying as well? And so the very first application is it takes the sting of betrayal away not the hurt it hurts to be betrayed it would be wrong to say well you just need to smile and gut yourself through it betrayals hurt but you're not surprised by them they're not overwhelming to you because you know humans friends people we trust betray us and truthfully we do too Second, this is why it matters. It provides hope that healing is possible. We Christians have hope that betrayal doesn't have the last word. Either the ones done to us or the ones that we have done. God healing our betrayal through him, through Jesus, gives us hope that betrayals that we've experienced can be healed too. They are not beyond redemption. They are not the final word. If somebody has betrayed you and it has caused you loss, that is not the final word of your story. You are a child of the king. He will not allow betrayal to be your final word or the dominant theme of your story. He always is the center of and the dominant theme of your story. Do you believe that? Because if you can believe that, then you won't be defined by your betrayals either. Yes, you've hurt people, but that doesn't have to be your story, at least not the center of your story. If you don't believe that, then we just have to live with our betrayals and regrets and losses. And if that's true, then what hope is there that God can heal our betrayals of Him? The last application, the reason it matters is it secures your identity even when you are betrayed or when you betray. The truth is, in this life, we will be betrayed and we will betray. That's a fact. And probably it will be a source of great pain and regret and loss for us. But even if that betrayed by someone we trusted, or even if we betray someone we trust, that does not change what Jesus did. You are forgiven. 
and reconciled. Not because I say it, but because Jesus did. It is for them that I have died. You are no longer a betrayer. Judas' name has become synonymous with betrayal. Your name has been written into the heart of God, and it can't be erased. You've been set free from that reputation of being a betrayer and all of the pain that is caught up in being betrayed. But only if you run to him, the one who was betrayed, in order to set you free. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, your word. Thank you. It is good news to our hearts. It's hard to hear that I am and have betrayed and have been betrayed. I think back of all the things that I've said and done and wish I had not said and done them, but the truth is I did say them and do them. But because of your graciousness to me, through Jesus Christ, the fact that you betrayed him to, in order that we might no longer be the betrayer, but the child who is welcomed. Thank you that because of Jesus' story is now my story, I don't have to be listed among the betrayers of the world, that I can be the one who is forgiven and restored. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.